wants the next unicorn, the next piece of magic technology that's going to solve everybody's problems and automate response and detect every potential problem, which, you know, is never going to happen. You know, magic is not real. Welcome to the Rain Insights Podcast. In today's episode, Chief Marketing Officer Greg Radner speaks with Michael Hamilton of Critical Insight Cybersecurity. His specialty is the protection and defense of healthcare organizations and critical infrastructure. Welcome to today's Rain Podcast, the number one problem in cybersecurity. When people think about cybersecurity, they mistakenly think about technology as both the problem and the solution. In reality, the top problem in cybersecurity is that there are not enough qualified people. A recent survey found that a higher percentage of IT leaders lose sleep over hiring and retaining staff than worry about ransomware. Even before the Great Resignation, there were hundreds of thousands of open cybersecurity jobs in the United States. Now, of course, the problem is exacerbated by the pandemic. Unfortunately, criminals are acutely aware of the staffing problems and treat them like a vulnerability that opens organizations up to attack. I'm Greg Radner. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer here at Rain, And today I'll be interviewing Mike Hamilton, co-founder of Critical Insight, who is helping organizations figure out how to improve their cybersecurity programs without hiring the dozens of necessary employees. When he was CISO of the City of Seattle, Michael discovered two important things. One, monitoring 20 by... 24 by 7 by 365 for intrusions is vital, and two, organizations need a real talent pipeline. Michael will explain how he put the two together by creating Critical Insight, a company with a deep talent pipeline and a 97% employee retention rate that acts as the security operations center for organizations that don't have the resources for a 12-person security team. Michael, welcome to today's podcast. Greg, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm really interested in diving into this. We hear a lot about the great resignation, just not necessarily about in cyber, but across all categories in the risk management space where we're focused on. But usually when people talk about problems in cyber, they talk about backups or insurance or firewalls, things of that nature. So tell us, why do you think the real problem is people? Well, look at the end point here. If we were, if we were neck deep in you know, cyber practitioners such that the the market value of each one was $60,000 a year rather than $130,000. We would hire our way out of this problem, right? I mean, you would have eyes on glass 24-7. You would have plenty of practitioners to keep you compliant. Uh, you know, it, it would be the equivalent of you know, having the latitude of hiring your own on-staff plumber, you know, right? Even if something is going to happen only once in a great while, you're going to have somebody there. So, so I think if we look at, you know, the, the, the end condition there, you know, the boundary condition in terms of, you know, the big differential equation, um, it, it, if we had enough people, we wouldn't be having the conversations we're having today. And the, the other side of that is there's this huge venture capital and private equity industry that wants the next unicorn, the next piece of magic technology that's going to solve everybody's problems and automate response and detect every potential problem, which, you know, it's never going to happen. You know, magic is not real. Uh, but, you know, we continue to fuel that industry. And so in a lot of people's mindset, they really do think this is a technology problem. You know, they, I mean, this is the messaging they're hearing. So I differ with that, um, you know, and I, I, I think the way that we do it is the right way. Well... 
I have to take offense a little bit to your term about magic is not real. <laughs> uh, I am a member of the Magicians Guild. Uh, it's actually a true story. And, um, and so there is a little bit of real magic here. But um, <laughs> that be, okay, be that as it may. <laughs> uh, enough about me. But let's talk. Is, is this really about a talent shortage or a skill shortage? Which one, which one do you think it is? So uh, that is an interesting question. You know, I don't think it's a talent shortage because there are plenty of people that can get into roles in, you know, cyber, using finger quotes. And, you know, not all those roles are technical. I think problematically, um, it's the skills they're trying to pick up uh, along the way, right? And, and, and now, you know, every school has its bright, new, shiny cybersecurity degree program you know, which which frankly scratches the surface. It doesn't give anybody, you know, operational experience that they need. And, you know, it's a lot of book learning and test taking. So I, I think the skills that are coming out of our colleges, universities are not uh, consistent with the way it used to be when you had to figure all of this out yourself. And you just had to stay up all night and burn computers down and build them back up. And, you know, do things that were, you know, frankly, walking right up to that line of being illegal or maybe crossing that line. Mm -hmm. You know, back in the day, this is the way everybody got their pedigree. Well, today it's different. And I don't think the way people are being educated are really preparing them for these roles. Sure. It's it's really on the job training. There's no there's no uh, substitute for that. But if companies can't sort of hire their way out of this cyber problem, what do they do? What's your recommendation? Well, I mean, this is one of the reasons uh, why managed services are becoming really popular, right? I mean, so us, you know, and competitors to us, um, you know, Critical Insight is a focal point for the practitioners that are really difficult for companies to attract and retain, and and special emphasis on retain <laughs> there. Um, so, you know, rather than going through this, you know, infinite rinse repeat of uh, recruiting, hiring, training, being able to retain for 18 months, and then let's do it all over because somebody realized that, you know, they want to go work for someplace better or want to have more latitude or, you know, want to work remotely. And in, in this seller's market right now, you know, those are the choices people are able to make. So rather than uh, just continuing this whole, you know, here's what we used to do in the 20th century, let's just keep doing it. You know, people are going out to manage services. So the managed service companies and the consulting companies are the ones that have to get really good at the hiring and retention so that we have that big bench for all of our customers to tap. It's a really interesting problem that then it becomes a procurement issue, right? I mean, we uh, at Rain, as you know, and you're part of our um, expert network, um, where we vet and credential and pre-screen a lot of the experts that are in our network sort of take away some of the pain around that procurement process. But what's a supposed, you know, if, if the company is looking to outsource some of this rather than hire, how do they pick the right company to work with? Well, I think there are a lot of questions, you know, one could ask that are very individual to, you know, a particular customer. Um, in the way we approach the problem, we, we know that, you know, a customer is not a customer is not a customer. They're in different sectors. They are in uh, uh, some, you know, frankly, high-risk services that they provide, right, a lot of local government. 
but because we can't predict what kind of technology they already have, um, it's a design principle of ours to leverage all of the existing investments that our customers have already made in security technologies, right? So we don't care what firewall you have or uh, uh, what endpoint agent you have, right? EDR agent or what cloud services you may have stuffed, you know, data into or running applications out of. We know that we have to ingest all of those things. And so that kind of flexibility about using the, the existing customer technology rather than requiring the deployment of agents on everything, you know, that's part of it. Um, this, this bit about the good supply of people, you know, this is becoming a real competitive differentiator here because of the shortage of people. And, you know, our competitors can solve that problem by paying, you know, just astronomical salaries and hope that's going to, you know, help them retain. Um, what we find is, especially in a seller's market like this, the company culture has more to do with retention than that salary. So, you know, a good, not only a good supply of people, but, you know, the ability for that managed service to retain those people. You want to be talking to the same person. You know, you don't want there to be a rotating cast of characters and have to, you know, break somebody in every time as a customer, right? Which brings me to what I think is... Um, the most important thing is the customer experience. So that good customer experience in the, in the early days of managed security services, um, you know, there was a lot of complaints about, well, we never hear from you guys, or, you know, this is way back in the day when I was with Gardent and we were acquired by VeriSign, you know, and we would tell a customer when we saw stuff going on and say, hey, you better go look at this. Well, customers don't want to just be told, hey, uh, I saw this thing on your network and you better go look at it. Um, the customers want to talk about security and they would like some resource there that helps them with their security problems over and above the just 24 seven monitoring, you know, and putting out little fires. Um, so, you know, really it's, it's, uh, the ability to use the customer's existing technology. It's the supply of people and it's the customer experience that's provided. I think that differentiates the managed services. Great points. Um, we're going to shift gears a little bit here, talk about everybody's favorite topic, ransomware. Uh, I think I read recently that one of the heads of the national security in the U.S. here said that we're going to be dealing, companies are going to be dealing with ransomware every single day for the next three years. I think that's what the quote was, um, which doesn't sound great for anybody. Um, but, I mean, you'd love to get your opinion. Is, is the risk of ransomware going to go down? Is technology always continues to get better what are your thoughts on that my th my thoughts are no <laughs> no okay so with a little detail here so so i think no and, and and it's because it's such a big business i i read somewhere recently that not ransomware specifically but you know cyber criminality is something like the third largest industry globally right. okay when there's that much money moving around what's the incentive to stop what they're doing well there is none so, you know, and when you say, you know, as technology gets better, technology will certainly get better at, um, uh, you know, identifying, you know, the, the detection analytics are always going to continue to get better. But this is an arms race. So we get better at seeing it. They get better at hiding it. Right. And, and, and that's just going to continue. I do think, though, that targets are going to shift. And part of that is the, uh, the change in rhetoric and then the actions taken by the federal government. 
So, you know, the federal government says, well, we have these 16 critical sectors and, you know, top of the food chain there is, is the health sector. Well, we're in the middle of a pandemic and these guys are knocking down hospitals. And so the government said, you know, if you knock down a hospital with ransomware, uh, you're, you're no longer a criminal. Now you're a terrorist. Mm -hmm. And just that rhetorical change had uh, an effect. And now the federal government is bringing to bear the Department of Justice, the Treasury Department through the OFAC regulations, um, and even the Department of Defense but that is out there, you know, and probably working with the FBI De Department of Justice, you know, in melting cyber criminal infrastructures. So we're, we're doing a better job at fighting back. But no, this ransomware business is not going to be, and it's, to be clear, it's extortion. Mm -hmm. You know, ransomware is the goofy cyber word we put on there. And extortion tactics, and, and, and here's an example of this, extortion tactics are probably going to change because this whole thing about um, uh, disrupting your network operation is different than we're, we stole your records, here they are, pay us and we'll give you the records back and we won't make these public, okay? That's still extortion, but it doesn't completely take a business out of the ability to operate. And so some shifting around like that is going to happen, um, but, you know, ransomware and, and just, you know, it's it's insidious way of stopping a, a network from operating. I think it may begin to be conflated with and somewhat relegated to uh, actual destructive attacks, right? As nation states are becoming emboldened here, and a lot of them hide behind this ransomware, you know, criminality, you know, this patina of, hey, we're criminals, you know, you can't blame it on this country. You know, some of that stuff is just to be purely destructive. So, you know, the, the ransomware technique of disrupting a network, not going to go away. I think the extortion part of it is probably going to morph to less destructive techniques. Got it. I mean, it's clear that technology alone can't solve all cyber problems. You mentioned even some sort of public-private collaboration efforts that have, have started to make a difference. I mean, but but why can't technology do it all? I mean, what else needs to, needs to happen in order to help solve this problem? You know, I think eventually, given enough, you know, administration oversight, you can you can automate a lot of actions that technology can take on your behalf given an observed event and you know along those lines uh, I was at a Gartner conference and you know they we were talking about this and they said listen we pulled all of our customers and asked would you allow a piece of technology you know to take an action on your behalf without human oversight and 100% of Gartner customers said no so first of all there is you know, a bit of uh, reluctance to do this in the first place. But remember, technology is not technology is not technology. And so when I say that there would need to be a lot of administration and management of something like this, yeah, we have SOAR platforms, you can have playbooks and things like that. Um, but when you're talking about operational technologies, you know, medical devices, things like that, just being able to automate an action and go, well, that piece of technology looks like it's acting aberrationally, you know, quarantine it, put it in a little network jail or disable it or something like that, well, that could get pretty tricky in a lot of environments. And so there, there can be some automation. It can be effective, but it's just not going to be universally applicable. And things that are riskier than others are probably going to stay far away from it. Got it. Well, let's shift gears one more time. 
sort of get a little bit more specific on uh, what Critical Insight is offering. So tell us in our audience a little bit about what Pisces is and why you guys created it. Yeah, my favorite topic. Uh, so it it started uh, when I was the uh, chief of information security for the city of Seattle. And I had just come from being the managing consultant for VeriSign Global Security. So I had been, you know, Fortune Corporations all the time, you know, living in hotels, flying around in airplanes. And uh, when I got to the public sector and saw the criticality of what was being done in terms of the services provided by local governments, right? That's your drinking water. That's making sure the fire department gets to your house before your house burns down. That's 911 operations, elections, it's all this. Um, and they were not watching networks. So we put together with some grant funding, a regional monitoring project. Uh, Homeland Security loved it. Uh, eventually, I ran screaming out of government, and that, that's really not an exaggeration. Uh, but we, we resurrected it as, as Pisces, this regional monitoring thing where we were doing free monitoring for you know small cities, counties, maritime ports. We brought it back under the company as an adjacent nonprofit. And so what Pisces does is no-cost monitoring for down-market local governments, so cities, counties, ports, school districts. And we do it for free in return for collecting metadata from the networks, right? No content data, can't read email, don't see web page, but source address, destination address, port protocol flags, all that stuff, and IDS alerts. And rather than bringing it over to our commercial SOC operation, it is made available to currently five universities that are all teaching the exact same curriculum, how to be a cyber analyst. Cyber analyst is the 10th fastest growing job in the United States, and it's the only cyber job on the list. So if you were going to be surgical about trying to move the needle, that's exactly where you go. Okay? So we are supported by the Department of Homeland Security and have great partners in Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. And currently we are going through a three-state expansion. We are provisioning uh, customers in Colorado right now that are going to be monitored by Colorado universities, specifically uh, Metropolitan State University, MSU in Denver. Um, and our next state is Kentucky with University of Kentucky going to be the lead institution over there. Um, we have universities as far away as Alabama A&M that are um, uh, evaluating these events in real time, right? So these analysts, these students, they're sitting in front of live fire. This is the real deal. This is critical infrastructure, events happening right now, got to figure it out. So, you know, they pick up that mission focus. More importantly, they come out of this with real operational experience. They, they, they know what this stuff looks like. And so that is differentiating them as admittedly entry-level employees, but this is uh, becoming more successful than we thought uh, originally, you know, this is part of the strategy is this is our employee pipeline. Well, we're we're making a lot of these practitioners and they're pretty good. So, you know, we've been discovered by the GEs and the Boeings of the world. Yeah, really interesting. You go back to our start where we started with the skill shortage and, and sort of that on the job training. It's kind of giving them that even though they're in a university setting. Um, mm -hmm. And and another good example, I think, of sort of this public private collaboration you're bringing in a third component of the academic side of things too. Um, really interesting. There must be some way that your customers benefit from this information too, from Pisces being out there. Is it is it feedback into what you're doing for customers? Uh, it does a bit. There's, you know, a bit of a, a wall of separation between them, but 
Pisces gives us the flexibility to do data analysis that we don't do with our commercial operation, right? Commercial operation is focused on you know there there's a there's a there's a service that we provide and that's what we provide and you know experimentation is kind of off the table well with pisces we can do some experimentation so for example this month we're looking at uh, over the over the month of january the number of raw ids alerts embedded in you know n terabytes of traffic that was applicable to m users we're monitoring and so if we take uh, ids alerts per terabyte per user that forms the basis of an apples to apples comparison so if somebody looks real noisy if, after we normalize them like that uh, maybe there's a network configuration error we can talk to them about. Maybe there uh, is some employee training we should do because they seem to be engaging in risky behavior. So Pisces lets us do that kind of thing. It also facilitates graduate level research. So research in detection analytics, for example, looking at uh, uh, entropy in DNS A record lookups. Right, it turns out to be a pretty good indicator for malware just hit. So it's a lot of things like that that we can do that we can't do with our customer data that's contracted by the commercial operation. Yeah, really interesting and a great source of information, I'm sure. So we're almost coming to the end of our time, but I, I want to give you a little bit of uh, sort of free advertising, really. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of companies that do, you know, like you said, uh, sort of similar services, Security Operations Center as a service where, where they're outsourcing kind of that, that SOC function, um, managed detection and response, MDR. There's a lot of different names probably for these things. But how does Critical Insight differentiate themselves from others that might be in this, those spaces? Oh, great. Thanks for the song. There you go. Great. Yeah. So, you know, I think what I said about our design principle of making sure that we leverage the existing investments made by our customers. That's a differentiator. Uh, the fact that we can ingest lots of sources, so obviously your network traffic, but also your endpoint events, uh, what's going on in your SaaS applications, Office 365 being kind of the top of that food chain, but also uh, your cloud exposures, Amazon, uh, Azure, everything. Um, you know, those are the kind of, you know, wear this on your sleeve. This is what the salespeople say. But to me, it's really more about our mission focus because we really do focus on the things that we consider to be important at the scale we live our lives. So we work for a lot of hospitals and a lot of local governments, even though they're really difficult to, to do business with, right? They're broke. They may be broke, but they keep us alive. So that's our mission. Um, again, you know, employee retention, you know, 97% employee retention rate for our technical employees through 2021 is phenomenal. Um, uh, that customer experience that I talked about so that the customer feels like they're actually talking to experts and professionals that are really helping them, not just, you know, ticking the box, you know, whatever the service provides, we're going to do that. We're interested in their security. Um, and then finally, this focus on the greater good. You know, we are making these practitioners, this is the, you know, the only cyber job on the list of the top 10. Let's make as many of those people as possible. And someday we'll get to be where we're neck deep in them and they're $60,000 a piece and we will hire our way out of this problem. So that's us. Great model. Um, appreciate your insights today. My, my guest today has been Michael Hamilton, co-founder of Critical Insight. 
You can learn more about them at www.criticalinsight.com. Michael, thanks for joining us today. Greg, thanks again. I had a great time. Greg Radner spoke with Michael Hamilton, Chief Information Security Officer at Critical Insight Security, which works to help organizations become more resilient against ever-increasing cybersecurity threats. Brain offers risk intelligence solutions to more than 400 leading corporations, government agencies, and academic institutions. They turn to Rain for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Learn about Rain at rainnetwork.com. That's R A N E network.com. Thanks for listening.